Have you ever spotted someone out in the world or in a magazine and thought, huh, maybe we're related? Or maybe that's you from a parallel dimension. Sometimes it happens at the drugstore or in a sound bath at Yashua Tree. But this week, I spotted a doppelganger of mine on a speeding plane train that was zooming between Terminal A-like Anchor and Terminal E-like Echo at Atlanta's Hartsville-Jackson International Airport. He was trim and fit, like I would be, on another Earth. And he had a beautiful head of hair, gorgeous, lustrous raven locks like the bearded man on the Just for Men box I keep in the fridge to prolong the contents therein. He was nursing a tall boy of monster energy drink and wearing the tailored uniform of a Delta Gate agent. Not everyone can pull that off. But this fella, who upon closer inspection had to be at least in his fifties, certainly did. And not a gray hair on that head, but some wrinkles. And that told me that he's seen his fair share of bar brawls at the Sky Lounge and maybe had to reseat a few people who were giving him lip about the peanuts. And the thing is, that plane train, it moves pretty fast. And despite the cautionary instruction from the automated plane train lady, this alternate tail refused to hold on to the bar, pure masculine energy, just like me. My goddess, he was impressive. But surely he caught a glimpse of me clutching that metal pole as we hurtled along and thought, hey now, there's a man with powerful abilities from another realm, perfectly suited to open a giant portal that leads into the deep night. Oh, friends, isn't this wonderful? Thank you for receiving me once again. I am Dale Seaver, your host, keeper of the mystic flame, and your stalwart guide through this next hour of regrets and revelations. We come to you, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and we thank our sponsors, the Gowanus Souvenir Shop, for their support. Go check them out if you're walking over the Gowanus and thinking, hey, I could use a souvenir of this journey. I'm just back from restorative trip to Miami, where I visited the Everglades. Florida is a fortress of dark energy. To go there is to know a quiet menace that has lurked in the depths of those swamps since ancient times. No one should really live there, but they do. I was part of a meditation group there that focuses on swamp deities, and one night we all gathered our crystals in our satchels, tied them around our waists, and put on some high-rubber waders beneath our billowing caftans and waded out into the tall grasses and gator-infested waters. At a certain point, I'd say about three steps in, I became overwhelmed with emanations from my fear chakra, and letting loose with a high-pitched wail, a scream sloshed my way out of there and back to the relative safety of the minivan parked just beyond the ranger station. As I sat, legs splayed, muddy boots kicked off and left outside, I grasped my quartz pendant in my trembling hands. My breath was shallow, and with each tiny inhalation I got pungent hits of the vegan lasagna and salty dandan noodles that sat festering in silver aluminum pans in the way back of the minivan. And I thought, well, sometimes it's good to know what you don't want in life. But I also know what I do want, and that's more great work. From my guest today, Aaron Fine. Aaron is the lead performer, composer, and creator for the band Psychic Twin. Now, I've had a lot of conversations on this program. 
But I'd argue that this one that you're going to hear is among the very finest, about finding light in the darkness and a competitive spirit born on the ice. It's an Olympic tie-in. This episode is full of the kind of truthfulness and humanity that I long to bring you week after week. So let's start by listening to a track from Strange Diary by Psychic Twin, and we'll hear a little bit more at the end of the program, as well as we slide ever further into the deep night with my guest, Aaron Fine. fine. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. So nice of you to drop in to the Deep Night Studios <laughs> <laughs> on a weekend. Welcome back to New York. You used to live here. I did, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, and while you were here, you were going through the throes of something, and now maybe you're going through the throes of something yeah, else. I, yeah, I think the throes have never ended. <laughs> <laughs> the throes are forever, aren't they? And you came to play a big show yeah. uh, with uh, a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Were you in the other band, or it was you? Uh, at, you are, of course, known for Psychic Twin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is your main uh, effort? Yes. Yes. Uh, and usually it's just you? It, well, it's just me in, in a lot of ways, but I always collaborate with people in different ways. So on stage I play with a... A drummer and technician. Oh, so, what does a technician do? A technician operates something called a computer. I don't know if you've ever heard of one of those. I've seen them in stores and yep. in catalogs. Yeah, they do interesting things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. They help uh, somehow with the music. Indeed. Ah, all right. Well, at least you hope that's what they're doing. That's what you Not hope. just sending email or something right. back there. That would be a little bit boring. In my experience, you got to watch on the technicians out there. <laughs> You really do. <laughs> so uh, what was the band that you were opening for another band? It was a yeah. celebration of bands. How do yeah. bands work? Um, that's a very good question. Not very well, I think, most of the time. Most of the time. Um, we were directly supporting the radio department, and we also played with Surf Rock is Dead. Surf Rock is Dead. Well, I like Surf Rock, so I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I know. Me too. I was a little bummed to hear. But they were a very good band, and of course, uh, the radio department was marvelous. That's fantastic. You know, there was a time when comedians would open up for bands. Yeah, I think that still happens. Does it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It yeah. always seemed an odd fit. It would be like uh, Bob Newhart opening up for Sonny and Cher. Yeah, it has to be the right type of music and the right type of comedian, but it can work. For sure. Yeah. I did it once. It was a little awkward, but I had I had a good time. Yeah, I think it would be strange for Psychic Twin because it's too dark and emotional, but maybe not. I don't well, know. Well, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I was listening to Strange Diary, right? Sometimes I want to say Strange Dairy, but that's a totally different deal. <laughs> a strange that's Diary. That's a thing, though. That is a it thing. Is, oh, believe me, I, had to, I thought I was uh, lactose intolerant for a while. <laughs> I was taking those tabs before I ate dinner. Turns out I'm not, and those are just horrible things to eat. But anyhow, I've been listening <laughs> I was that. listening to the album again in advance of our conversation because mm-hmm. I wanted it to be fresh on the mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that as much as uh, and maybe we'll get into it, but as much as been written about the sort of emotional thrust of this thing mm-hmm. and it comes from a kind of cauldron of uh, uh, difficult uh, feelings and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very physical uh, sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to move to it in mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. And I was watching a little clip of the show from last night. Very physical, very. moving. I mean, there's a dance influence to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that a way for you to process things too? Yeah. You know, I was um, a figure skater for 12 years of well. my life. And so dance is a part of my background. And so when I started in on Psychic Twin, 
I knew I wanted there to be a feeling of movement involved in the sound. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know if I was aware that that was a part of processing something difficult, but it certainly helps. Um, I love to dance. Yeah. Yeah. And so when when you were skating, you were doing it uh, for medals and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I was competitive. <laughs> yeah. Still are. Still are, yeah. Still am. Still am. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, well, what was the routine? The skating routine? Yeah. Oh, man, there were many. Yeah. <laughs> there were many. I'm, I'm trying to think if a, a certain piece of music stood out to me. Um, I actually really loved skating to classical music. Yeah. Because I feel like the sport matches well with that type of music, but... I really like to express myself through movement, and I, when I look back on skating, I learned a lot about music because of that time in my life. I listened to so much music, soundtracks, a lot of early synth stuff. That's actually how I got into Giorgio Moroder and other things, um, and a lot of classical, and I learned to move to it, and I think that has a lot of effect on Psychic Twin. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting to me, mm-hmm. because as I was thinking about you know, you said this is somehow influenced by maybe 80s music and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. stuff that was, uh, as you were growing up, mm-hmm. your Cindy Lauper, your Annie Lennox, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, that's that's uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I grew up maybe a little bit earlier, than you, <laughs> but I knew all that stuff was around, yeah. and that's not my first go-to when I was going to make something. But And this album is so completely tight and kind of transcends that early influence. Thank you. There's no misplaced note, no beat that's out of, you know, it's really a, it's a, fully realized thing as you. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that oh, but thank you. when i was thinking of the music i would listen to as a kid mm-hmm. and i only recently realized this because i used to think i had kind of terrible taste in music because <laughs> <laughs> people say what do you listen to and i would kind of fudge a little You're bit like, but as i was thinking through it just the other day i thought you know the sounds that i was attracted to uh, from an early age were things that painted the picture in my mind and i still still gravitate towards that thing yeah. like peter and the wolf Oh yeah, I love Peter and the Wolf. Right? Oh yeah. And and I think I w- that's why I like soundtracks. Oh, Anything I can kind of run the picture to. Me too. Now that gives you a wide gamut of things, okay. and so you don't ever fall in like I was a dance music or this kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to me that you approach it through a kind of more physical. Absolutely. Uh, feeling it inside. Yes. Uh, as well as maybe picturing some of the things too. But you do have to tell a story when you're skating. Yeah, you do. You do, and I think that. I feel extremely attached to sound in the way that it can relay emotion. And so for me, a sound is an emotion. They're completely connected. Yeah. That's something I'm going to have to think about a little bit more because Mm -hmm. uh, now I want to go back and listen to the album again too Um, and I I would uh, understand that as we said it kind of came from a tough tough spot and I would only say that um, uh, this endeavor this project here came we have some parallels in our creative process in that I went through some loss and some breakup uh, situation moving Mm. to New York wandering around trying to find an outlet making it happen in basements for one or two people Mm -hmm. you spent some time in basements oh boy did I? I think I've spent most of my life in basements. <laughs> Probably should have stayed in the basement. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's exciting when things start to emerge from down there. Yeah. I wanted to do a whole book about how so much of culture is defined it's, literally underground. It's true. That's and, a really beautiful way to think about it because that's true. Yeah. I, when I started Psychic Twin, I was writing in my basement that I that was a part of a house that I lived in in Illinois. And that's where I kind of would disappear and 
become some sort of strange musical creature down there, and that's where the concept came for the for the project. And that's uh, did you already have the what did you start on a piano or a synth? What I was had the, uh... um, I I had and still have a wide array of synths that I have collected from over the years, and so I would go down there. I knew I was very cued in at that point to the fact that I had been a musician for a long time, but I had always been writing music with other people, which was a wonderful thing, but it never felt very reflective of what I wanted to do. I always sort of felt like I was contributing to a sound that ultimately was someone else's. Mm. And I had been obsessed with synth music, really, from the time I can remember. So that I knew I wanted that to be the main sort of palette. Mm -hmm. So I was downstairs experimenting with all these bizarre keyboards and um, just a sound began to emerge. But, but is it the kind of thing where you're just collecting the keyboards? Like you go to the flea markets and things, or they, they find you some of it? Uh, yeah, a bit of both. Say, you know, I, like, I know you like to play this, so here you go. Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, people in my life definitely know that I love synths, so I get notified about things. <laughs> but I've gotten them from pawn shops. I've gotten them from other friends' basements. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a whole basement uh, culture. Uh, culture there is, and yeah. exchange down there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what was the first uh, exposure to that, to synth? Do you even recall that or just was you always know, there? I, I That's a really good question because, I mean, I have very early memories of noticing those types of tones in movies from when I was really little, like even soundtracks for like the Goonies. Yeah. Um, there's a really wonderful scale that keeps playing over and over again in that movie and I remember very distinctly thinking like wow that's so beautiful that's so neat and kind of queuing in early on to Danny Elfman even though he's not particularly synthy but his like dark melodies really pulled me in even like early Beetlejuice and weird stuff like that mm -hmm. and um you know, when I was figure skating I, I started gravitating to like Giorgio Moroder, which I mentioned earlier right. and then I discovered Annie Lennox and Cyndi Lauper and all these synth sounds were kind of swirling And Even early Madonna I was obsessed with as far as pop stuff goes. Um, and then like the Dark Crystal was there and <laughs> the never ending story. And like it just kind of was a, a, a musical quilt, I guess, that I was building in my brain. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting that you mentioned those because when I do, when I listen to your uh, music, I'm taken back to a kind of indeterminate uh, soundtrack mm -hmm. of a kind of a fantasy mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's not any one of those, but it's a feeling, as you said, yeah. uh, of a lot of them. Yeah, and uh, I get a little nostalgic thinking about That's it. That's wonderful. I, I hope so. That's what I would hope for. Yeah, there's a I little longing for a little time there. Yeah, there's longing for me. I, yeah. Uh, I'm very on the surface now. I don't know if it's just my age. But, uh, again, on the train, I saw a gal with a, a copper-colored uh, jacket, mm -hmm. very deep co copper. And uh, I was recalling a pair of pants that I had that was almost the same color. This would have been like high school or something, pegged at the bottom. And uh, I almost started weeping, thinking about, oh. oh, that was a different time for me. Yeah. And I can't go back to that time. Yeah. It's funny how it's starting to play on me now. <laughs> yeah, it is intense to to feel the passing of time. I think yeah. especially when there's a, a big hole of loss in the middle of that. Yes. It it, um, it it marks the before and after. It really does it, and it hurts. Yeah. It yeah. hurts. I mean, even just looking at those 
thinking about those pants. (laughs) (laughs) That may hurt for a different reason. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) And it's taken me a long time to sort of process heartache and and, and, uh, sadness. And you went through a divorce, which is what led into kind of talking around it, but that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I read in an interview that you gave that uh, really stuck with me was, and it may be a kind of obvious thing, but the f- emotional force of this music down there in the basement mm-hmm. came out very quickly, mm-hmm. very uh, uh, with a great deal of passion, as one would expect it to. Mm-hmm. But that it takes time to actually get it out into the world, yeah, and to get this thing that is so completely solid and uh, so present. Uh, it took it takes time, and it takes time to find the right people to help you do these kind of artistic doulas yes. to to get this out into the world. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it was an interesting process because. The music, a lot of it, not all of it, but a great deal of it was done for years Mm. before my album actually came out. But I really wanted to find the right producers to work with. I wanted to find the right label. And I wanted the artwork and the imagery to be just so. And I needed to leave the Midwest and see something new and meet new people. And just as a woman um, out here alone with uh at the time not a lot of financial support that you know that took a lot of work and time for that to come together but eventually it did yeah so when the story was told there had been a bit of distance between what happened and then where i was when the album came out but i think that was good because it took me so long to get over isn't necessarily even the right word but it took me so long to get to a place where I didn't feel so deeply sad about what had happened that I almost felt immobilized for a period of time. And by the time it came out, I had come out of that and had been in therapy for a while. And so I was grateful for that because I'm not sure if it had come sooner how I would have been emotionally. Right. Well, because then that brings up the interesting point that then you that's your that's the sound that is what you are playing. Yeah. So then you have to enjoy playing this. Yeah. Well of heartache. Yeah. To, to I didn't the think country. it through. <laughs> my my therapist actually said, and I will freely admit this. She was like, you know, it's possible that part of the reason why you're having trouble letting go of some of this pain. Uh, is because you relive it every single time you play a show. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, you know what? I, You might be right about that. <laughs> but, you know, you don't think, well, I didn't think of that. I didn't think about that. And um, and there is pain associated with it. But um, I think on the other side, it has helped me process. And I'm not sure I could have gotten through it any other way. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it is interesting to say, here is my pain to to a great crowd of people. Yeah. You know, went to Terminal 5 or something. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing. As I got closer to releasing the album and I thought, well, here here comes a time where the critics are going to come in and have what have their way with it and I thought, wow, this is it really blows to get like not a great review anyways. And then I processed the feeling like, wow, this is going to be really personal. <laughs> But, um, you but know. then there weren't any bad reviews, and you were fine. It was okay. Yeah. yeah. It went well. <laughs> it went well. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago was the album out? Uh, a little over a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. Okay. And so you've, you've kind of completed it in a sense. Yeah. It feels complete. I'm kind of at the end of playing shows that showcase it in full. A few right. more. Right. A few more. 
Mm-hmm. But th- that's okay because now you're looking at it in a different way. You're in a, yeah. a different perspective entirely. Yeah. And uh, maybe some new things are coming through it. Yeah, they are. It's been an interesting thing to play through all the emotions and come out to the other side. And it's nice to feel still very connected to it, even though I don't feel like the same person I was when I wrote it. Right, right. Uh, I think when I think of really emotional songs, I, I tend to think of one concert by Bjork mm. on the bay in San Francisco outdoors. Oh, wow. And the, she was playing that uh, one, one of those it's like Yorga or something. I don't know how one of those songs. And it's just heartbreaking, yeah. the music. And yeah. she's kind of all over, but she is very like on the surface of what's going on. Oh, yeah. It's there. And these huge ships were going through in the background. And she's pouring her heart out. It just, just beautiful. It like makes me almost want to tear up just hearing you describe it. Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I should bring tissues to the next one of these when I start thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but you also do you feel like um, with Psychic Twin, mm-hmm. uh, I, I understand you talked about uh, the reason for calling it that because during the creation process in the basement, surrounded by all those secondhand and firsthand keyboards, mm-hmm. uh, firsthand, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, almost this uh, shimmering shadow self yeah. kind of emerged to be a kind of creative force or a, a twin, if you will, yeah. to help you craft the, the sound. Yeah. But do you consider now performing as a kind of stage persona? How is it different to perform versus that creative influence? Um, you know, I feel like the entire project of Psychic Twin is a persona to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really stylized and it lives in a bit of a fantasy land. This, These creatures, I guess. Me, me and my alter ego or me and my clone or twin I can never really decide or it's like a shadow person a dream partner you know all these things um it can play different roles for yeah different times, it I'm switches sure. around but um that that feeling is there always whether it's in the recording studio or on stage I do feel a sort of extraterrestrial presence involved in the project and I have from the very beginning um and I think I do feel that on stage as well um so I don't know, in all honesty, if there's much of a difference for me. I think I feel very connected to this strange world, whether I'm recording or whether I'm on stage, other than the fact that when I'm on stage, people are watching me act like a weirdo, as opposed to when I'm in the basement, I just do it by myself, <laughs> or with my twin, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only us in the basement. Some of that is protection, though, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's safe. It's safe down there, and I think... It does take some courage to bring that out into the world and show people what it is you do. And I'm, I think I'm still opening up as far as performance goes. Mm-hmm. Last night, I actually felt a moment where I, I felt or heard myself saying, just dance, just dance, just let go. And I, and I did. And somebody actually recorded that moment. And I was shaking my ponytail all around and I saw it. That night, and I thought, like, yeah, you got to do more of that. You know, I guess I'm talking to myself a lot. But um, so I'm still discovering my ability to come out of the basement and really let my hair down, you know. Mm-hmm. But that persona allows you to both uh, disappear, wrap yourself up in that, uh, while also maybe allowing you to heal to get to your true self. 
I hope so. That's 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 got to be the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea is to find some kind of clarity, which is elusive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, but, uh, now you spent some time in Chicago. You're from Urbana. Yeah, I was born in Champaign. I grew up in Urbana. There. Right Those two are other. always linked. Yeah, they're, they're, Does it exist without the other one? Can no. you say Urbana? You have to say Champagne. Yeah, Urbana. they're both right next to each other, and <laughs> most people wouldn't know whether you were in one or the other, although it's very interesting to <laughs> me that Urbana is very politically liberal and Champagne is much more politically conservative, and mm. so there actually is some very distinct differences in the community. So I grew up in the liberal side, and yeah. I'm very proud to be from Urbana. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, well, I was thinking of... Um, uh, Chicago and what I know of Chicago, which mm-hmm. I've now been a few times. But when I first was introduced to Chicago, it was through the work of really comics artists mm-hmm. like Dan Klaus and uh, Chris Ware. And they, too, create a kind of persona. Now, maybe it's a disgruntled white guy or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> unlucky, I think, is part of it. Yeah, Moving unlucky. through this kind of gray sadness of Chicago. Yeah. But as we're talking, there's something to it, too, isn't there, of like developing this slightly weird alter ego thing that we can disappear into, but that allows us to also speak some pretty solid truths. Yeah, maybe it is more comfortable to come out with the deepest parts of your soul when you have a bit of a mask on. Yeah. And it protects the other people, too. It does. (laughs) I can always pull the card, well, that was psychic twin. Yes. I mean, I've never done that. I don't know anything about characters, and I certainly, uh, you know, I'm as true as I can be. (laughs) 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 But uh, one of the things I did like in in some of the psychic twin stuff that I saw this, you had a kind of a uh, Klaus Nomi kind of uh, contraption that you were wearing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of futuristic yeah. Bauhausy thing. Yeah, that was thing. a wonderful designer who's actually based here called Chromat. Chromat. Yeah. Well, I want to get a robe or something made like that oh, you for gotta myself. Get, you got to get one. Yeah. <laughs> it makes yeah. you feel truly like a, another sort of being. Kind of an exoskeleton is what yeah. we're talking about. They do that 3D was... printing, and so oh, it was a cool. really neat sort of corset style piece that you can wear over anything and so I wore mine over a black unitard. Yeah, as one would. <laughs> as one would. <laughs> well, it sounds like it would go over my black turtleneck very nice. It really, really would. It could uh, complement your Steve Jobs look. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I get that a lot. Uh, but that, uh, again, is sort of putting on this futuristic armor, mm-hmm. a weird kind of a thing to put over there. Did you, was it quick to settle on that? Was it like, you know what I want to do? I want to put on this, <laughs> this silvery thing. It took me some time to find what I wanted to wear on stage for that record. and um, But also I, it's perfect. That's why I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm asking. Yeah, it is perfect. I, I was doing a photo shoot, and the stylist for the shoot brought some pieces from Chromat to the shoot. And as soon as I saw it, I knew, oh, man, I've got to get in touch with this this person or this company. And Becca, who is the brains and, and dream dreamer creator behind Chromat, and I wound up connecting and then... It went from there, got some pieces, and so I wore that for the entire Strange Diary tour. Now I'm kind of shifting over to something new. I'm looking to change the look up a little bit. Um, There's a designer here called Shnizana Petarina. Um, She's Russian, although she was based here, and she does stuff that's somewhat in the realm of chromat, although maybe a little bit softer. There's actually a lot of pieces she has with molded android faces. Oh. Into the work. Now we're talking. Um, she sent me a jumpsuit that is mesh and that has 
android heads kind of circling orbitally around the piece, and I wore that last night. So, yeah, I'm very Android interested. heads meaning humanoid or more robotic? They look kind of humanoid to me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody thought it was a Brian Eno head, and I was like, cool, well, I, let's go with that. <laughs> kind I'd, of an android. I'd love to wear a big <laughs> Brian Eno head on my jumpsuit on stage, so if anyone wants to help me make that happen, just throwing it out there. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, send us a note yeah. or talk to your technician. Um, it was uh, To me, it was so... Uh, well, as I said, it was perfect. It, it makes me think, were you making your own costumes for the ice skating? Um, yeah, you know, we, we did a lot of homemade stuff at the beginning, and then eventually when I was competing more, we had to go with a professional because oh, my mom and I tried, and we did okay, but we needed a little help. That was a tough moment, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, when we were like, guys. <laughs> tough morning. You know, these costumes are okay. Yeah. But we need to step it up. I still have my skating outfits, though. In fact, every now and then I think, like, maybe I should just put one of those on and get on stage. And then what happens? You think the better of it. (laughs) Yeah, and then probably people will be like, wow, you look, you really look like a figure skater. It's kind of weird. I think as long as you went out to, like, Bolero or something, it would be okay. (laughs) uh, (laughs) A lot of flame flame birds. It's a very famous performance by Torval and Dean to that piece of music. I'm not sure if you're aware. Yeah, I've got it queued up on the on demand. Yeah, okay. Check, everybody, check it out. It is actually it's it's a masterpiece. I bet it is. Mm-hmm. I bet it is. Um, uh, do you, do you, will you, are you excited for the Olympics? Will you watch that? I will. Yeah, yeah. I love figure skating still, it's, and I love to watch it. It's a fascinating and strange sport. I still don't understand how. What's this, Scott Hamilton? Is that his name? That is his name. He comes out, does a flip. Yeah. That should have been the end of it. <laughs> to me, that should have been gold medal. <laughs> All the time, forever. Here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. Yeah. It's illegal to do flips in competitive figures. Yeah, skates. now. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, one of the great sport <laughs> moments, I think, of figure skating is from a skater called Syria Bonali. She's yeah. from France. Okay. She was, in my opinion, always kind of unfairly judged for a variety of reasons. She didn't have the typical form or style of, of what they tend to look for in skating this bit of an ice princess kind of thing. And you see that dichotomy between Kerrigan and Harding. Yeah. Um, so she was more like um, Tanya Harding in the way that she skated anyways. I think she had had her fill. And at I think it was her last Olympics, she did a backflip, even though it was legal. And yeah. it was a very intentional little, move. Little FU backflip. Oh, yeah. It was totally an <laughs> FU backflip. And they actually did a great interview with her about it on NPR, and you can hear the whole story. It's really, really cool. So anyways. That's how you want to go out. Yeah. I thought that was really badass. Yeah. yeah Final concert. Fan. I always liked Surya Bonnelly. <laughs> she's got this incredible, strong form, and I was always kind of a muscular kid, and I always thought, like, she's cool. She's the one. And she did an FU backflip, so <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I always admired that. I thought, well, that's, I mean, God, where do you go from there? I don't know. On to something else. Yeah. <laughs> On to something <laughs> this, else. Something. Um, well, and you uh, also carried this look through um, the uh, some of the videos. Yeah, yeah. For this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I know not maybe not everyone has seen it, mm-hmm. but the, uh, what is it, Stop in Time? Yeah. That yeah. one uh, features it, and that has a kind of, um, for our artistically minded audience, mm-hmm, the kind mm-hmm. of Anthony McCall light sculpture, mm-hmm. Dan meets Dan Flavin kind of thing in the middle mm-hmm. there. And uh, it's very much, that whole video, it feels as if it's one of the things that the H.G. Wells time traveler character mm-hmm. would see 
as they're going into the future. Yeah. They stop and say, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. Okay, we're going to keep going in the future. <laughs> like, okay, guys, <laughs> but, uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> have you read H.G. Wells recently? I haven't, actually. I, I encourage you to go back and do it. Yeah. I hadn't really, really focused on it, uh-huh. and then I did, and uh, now I get steampunk. I yeah. understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. People like brass handles. They do. They want those everywhere. They do want those everywhere. Yeah. You ever have a phase like that? You know, the steampunk thing I think is interesting because I do enjoy retro things. And my my yeah. apartment has a very retro look to it. Um, and I've always been obsessed with sci-fi future fantasy aesthetics. And yeah. I'm speaking fairly aesthetically. Um, but I and I think steampunk really meshes the two. Yes. Um, precisely. But I don't like them together. <laughs> I like to keep them separate. So for me, I have some aesthetic issues with steampunk because I, I don't enjoy the way they look together. So I keep them You're talking them specifically the, the two things being uh, retro mm-hmm. and sci-fi. Yeah. You don't like those two worlds merging. N- aesthetically speaking, not really. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like it to be futuristic or... Vintage, and I want them to live in their own separate worlds. I see. I'm a strange person. <laughs> I, I I recognize that. But you see. don't like a kind of you like a zeppelin, but you don't need a tripped out zeppelin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because the zeppelin it, was it, a thing of it, beauty unto itself. It was a thing of beauty unto itself, and it happened in real time. Yeah. So I it's it's allowed to exist yep. in in my world, but I guess I what I don't want to see is uh person dressed like a 1940s clock who lives in the future. I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense I, to I, me. I understand what you're getting at. It's <laughs> yeah. a, I think it's a little bit of a fine needle to go through. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, when you have the, the person dressed like that with a kind of an eyepiece yep. that adjusts yep, on definitely. its own while making a bunch of whirring clacking sounds, yeah, who is of... also firing a laser gun. Yeah. There we go. That's the problem that yeah. I have. Like, yeah. I'm happy to have the clock person. Yes. But I don't want them to have a laser gun. I, I understand it. And I feel like that may be what irks me about it, too. Yep. That's what irks me about and it. This so, level of fantasy, if you want to recreate something, great. Yeah. But why would we go backwards in the future? Yeah. I, I just don't. <laughs> I don't. The two of them, to me, are like a bit of like oil and water. Yeah. You can put them together and people do. And they should keep doing it. I'm just not super into it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't need to go to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's when I don't need to step forward too. Yeah. Did you have a phase though? I mean, if you were skating, that takes up a lot of time. Maybe you didn't have a phase of maybe more goth or more preppy or something like that. I, I definitely had my phases. In, in my skating life, I was was just so deeply obsessed with skating that I feel like that was It so, has to. It has to take over. Yeah, it's yeah. impossible to be good at it without it being everything you do. Um, so, but I was always listening to music that I noticed was strange compared to the people around me. Yeah. Um, so the music thing was happening and I was listening to the Breeders and Bjork and my brother's who are amazing people and they turned me on to such good music, gave me the hurting when I was uh, by tears for fears when I was really little and, um, joy division and, oh man, XTC, so many cool projects that I got introduced to by my brother. So I had a pretty interesting set of, of musical taste going into that skating world. So my, 
my music choices were always a little odd compared to everyone else, I thought, um, at least from my point of view. But yeah, I got into the goth stuff. I I had weird phases of all kinds aesthetically of my own that yeah. some of them weren't awesome. <laughs> <laughs> some of them don't pan out. I dyed my hair a lot of weird colors. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good that you had the uh, older uh, siblings, though, to guide you through the... I'm an only child. That's why I ended up with some weird... <laughs> Choices You're on, on my, your own. My Columbia CD club. <laughs> yeah, Columbia. <It> sad. <laughs> For one very, penny, very you can sad. get 13 more, like something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fashion-wise, I still, other than those copper pants, which I did wear a number of times, uh, I remember an outfit that was listed in the uh, Toys R Us, Kids R Us, was mm-hmm. the clothing version of Toys R Us, in the circular in the Sunday paper. And it was a young kid with his hair spiked up, a red T-shirt, with a short sleeve shirt over top of that, collar up, white, but with like handprints, but probably splatters. I don't think it was handprints, splatters mm-hmm. of different color paint. Ooh. And then, I don't know, jeans or something and some uh, Converse or Vans or something. That sounds awesome. I coveted that outfit. Oh. I always wanted that. Did you try to make your own shirt? You know, I did. And it was. <laughs> Of course, that's what happens. Yeah. You're like, no, oh, this is a just uh, this is terrible. Yeah, it never this, quite. Works it doesn't out. work out. You think splatter is going to be easy, and it never is. It always backfires. I had a lot of splatter paint clothing, to be honest with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> homemade. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, interesting. Yeah, a lot of a lot of sweatshirts, purple. Oh yeah. A lot of purple, a lot of splatter paint happening. Mm-hmm. 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 I like that stuff. We we are of an era. Yeah. We're- <laughs> <laughs> that thing was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I could do shaman though pretty quickly. I think now I could move out of preppy. I could let go of that splatter stuff. Maybe there'd still be some splatter and involved. Go shaman? Just go full shaman. You should move Loose to LA. Clothes. Oh, I know. Come find <laughs> me in LA. Go back. Yep, go to the beach. Uh, but uh, speaking of LA, yeah, you make this uh, album. Mm-hmm. It uh, hits. You get it out there. You're touring. Great success. No bad reviews. What makes us say, okay, I need to get out of New York? Well, a, a few different things. I think that, um, in all honesty, I started to learn about the cost difference and how I might be able to live alone, whereas I had been living with three people for five years here. <laughs> say no more. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that sounds time. pretty cool. So I thought about that. Um, I thought about just the experience of living near the ocean um, that I could go to most uh, any day, theoretically, all year round, as far as the weather being inviting. Yes. Um, I've never lived anywhere tropical. Um, I don't. I didn't know what it was like to not have seasons or to have very subtle seasons. Um, so um, I, I guess some of it was I wanted to be a little bit more comfortable than how I felt here. Mm-hmm. Um I think I do feel a little depressed on cloudy days, which isn't something that I feel is unbearable, but I wondered, hmm, what would it be like to have a lot more sunshine in my face and would that be good? Um, And there's something dark and mysterious about an ocean at night that I find to be very inspirational Mm. and the sound of it, of course. So I thought... Let's let's just try the other side for a little while. Yes. You know, see what it's like. And uh, I have only been there for about three months, but I do live alone. 
Congratulations. Thank you. It's a tiny little studio, but it is mine. That's that's all it takes. Yeah. And um, I, I'm finding that another thing I kept hearing people say was the music scene is sort of really alive right now in L.A. People are really working together. It's really interesting what's happening. And that really piqued my interest. And I have to tell you, I have met so many open and um, sort of ready to create without discussion of money people <laughs> uh, that it, it's, it actually it makes me feel emotional because I think that's so important to be able to collaborate first about the the, the issue that it that you're trying to deal with you know to get together with someone and talk about the emotions or the feelings behind what you're doing and see if you connect and spend time together doing that before you get into like, okay, well, who's going to get what and who deserves what? And that's very important. But I found that that kind of came up very immediately in my a lot of my experiences here in New York. And I'm discovering in LA that people seem a little bit more focused on nurturing the creativity first and then sorting out the the more sort of business side conversations after you discover if you have a connection and then and you've created something together and it's it's a short amount of time but I feel so creatively alive and connected to the people that I'm meeting out there and that has been really nice and I'm sure people have that here too but I have I'm having an influx of that in in LA right now yeah so well it when you can remove the money pressure even slightly, mm-hmm. it really helps. It does. Now, I think you still have that conversation about who gets what. Absolutely, that's early important. on. Yeah, that's because important. it can turn bad. Oh quick. boy, it really can. It <laughs> and really this can. Uh, community of good vibes can quickly dissipate. Can and people should get. <laughs> and what I lived they there deserve. for ten years, so that's yeah. why I'm saying <laughs> we you know, we got into that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it was uh, it was ruinous for a time. Absolutely, but uh, you know, things, and it's important. Get better. It's important. It's important, but if to feel what you're feeling. Absolutely uh, wonderful, and that's a great way to enter the city because that city can be lonely if you don't have that, yeah. and if you don't seek that out and have some good people to absolutely both of these cities. We're the one you're living in and the one I'm living in can be very lonely. They can be, mm-hmm. but we have to seek each other out. We do. We have to we? find each other. <laughs> and did you have a, a kind of a spiritual journey going across the country? I did. Yes. Actually, I had a very strange trip. I. Originally, I drove with my father, who's 76. He came and flew out to New York, and we drove. He he accompanied me on a drive. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Probably better if you do the driving. Yeah, back to Illinois. So that was the first step, and we had this wonderful father-daughter trip together that was really, really fun. Moments of stress, but fun. Yeah. Really fun and, and wonderful. My dad's, both of my parents are really special people. My dad's a real dreamer and I I loved that trip so that was the first tap then I stayed with my parents for a little while and got myself together and then I drove by myself from Illinois to Echo Park Mm -hmm. I did it in four days Um, you're moving so I did some really long hauls and I got very very sick on the way out Ah. so I got a really bad case of bronchitis and so for three of the four days I had a raging fever Um, it's fun to drive through. Oh yeah, I lost my voice completely. Uh huh. Um, so it was it was weird. I felt weird. I felt a little high because I had a fever and I was taking medicine. Yeah. Um, and I was in the desert and it, 
I was going on Route 66 for a part of the time, mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I took some strange detours. I went to Santa Fe. Oh, it's I beautiful. went to see the Meteor Crater. Uh, Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen the Meteor Crater. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's in Arizona, and I was so out of it by that point. But it is so cool, and it's owned by a family, <laughs> which is really That's weird. weird. Yeah. So weird. But they have a wonderful museum attached to the meteor crater. Uh, um, I just did a lot of interesting things. I stopped at some roadside Route 66 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I had a special and somewhat transformative journey. Well, that is the best. I remember coming out uh, uh, from L.A. to New York. And we came over the hill in many hills, mountains, whatever. You come into Santa Fe. We got there just as it was snowing. Mm. I mean, magical. This was March or something. And you get a little dusting of snow, and they have the fireplace in the room, and isn't that nice? And then um, went up to Ghost Ranch, where uh, George O'Keefe used to bop around a Mm. little bit. And just, it smells good there. And just a a marvelous time. Did a little peyote out there in the pines. (laughs) Yeah, you did. And uh, (laughs) although, uh, you know, uh, Tylenol cold or something can have a similar effect. Yeah, it really can. (laughs) What I love about your story, though, is that it's so strange to me. And not strange, by now familiar. But Mm -hmm. I'm always um, shaken by it a little bit. When our bodies go through a process that we're not even aware of, Mm -hmm. some kind of purging or uh, some kind of physical transformation, losing your voice when it uh, skirts that close to metaphor for everything that's happening. It's a beautiful because then you come out on the other side finding a new voice. Yeah, really, I thought to myself, wow, I guess my body, my voice, everything about me physically went through some kind of a shedding process, I guess. You know, I couldn't I couldn't speak. Yeah. It was really strange. I couldn't speak. I couldn't sing. And my forehead was on fire and I felt really strange and I thought, wow, this is really going out of New York in some kind of a physical blaze. <laughs> it has an impact on us yeah. that I think we don't even realize. Yeah. It really I, I think sometimes I make the mistake of thinking that I can handle anything, and and then my body swings in and says, "Like, hey, <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. What are you doing? You know." So yeah, moving across the country is it's a pretty intense process. So in a way, getting really sick like that kind of made sense. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes at the end of the year, uh, holiday time, people get taken out, and they well, why are we all getting sick? Well. You just went through a year. You've all been holding on to this. Big and now you're up. in a place that has some kind of charge. Yeah, there's there's, <laughs> so, there's something to be said about that, though. I and really... you're crossing through ancient lands there, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can feel it. Yes. You can feel it's it. It's powerful. I, I was listening to Bjork, actually, as I was driving up to the meteor crater, and I had it blasting, and I was thinking, like, wow, I feel like I'm on another planet right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You would. Yeah. You would. Maybe I was. Maybe you were. Who knows? Well, I like to think about that. We're all stardust. Mm. Um, so now you're out there. You're you're working on a second album. Yes. And uh, that'll be just coming. Hopefully you have a sunnier room <laughs> to, to be in. <laughs> I don't you. know if you have to be in a basement, but some uh, if they even have basements out there. Yeah. I don't know if they do. <laughs> It's, I guess I've, it's I still, I'm going to have to get back to you on the basement <laughs> thing. I'm actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that now because my apartment is on the second floor and it's very sunny. 
been making a lot of music up there and yeah. then I've been rehearsing and making a lot of music with the person who's been playing in my band with me, Dusty, and he lives on Mount Washington in Eagle Rock. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very up. Yeah. And when I first drove up to his house, I actually started to laugh because <laughs> I had never been ever in, in a mountain neighborhood or a hill neighborhood. I don't even know yet how to refer to these. But I was laughing because I was like vertical driving up to his house. And I was like, where the heck am I? What people live up here? There's homes jutting out of the side of the mountain. And it's like sort of susical, susian plants are everywhere. And, right. and, and it felt so strange. And we got there and I went to his place and I was thinking, wow, I mean, the, an eagle just flew by my face and here is where I'm going to be creating and it's the exact opposite of the basement and, <laughs> yeah. and New York and the darkness. And so this is going to be interesting. I wonder if it'll affect the sound. I don't, I don't have perspective on that yet. But. Yeah. Well, I don't think it can, can help but do that. Yeah. And uh, that's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. I I'd like the second record to be different in some significant way, so I hope that the scenery will be a part of that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. I'm I'm tremendously excited just hearing that, yeah. uh, to look forward to that. And you've got some shows, as I said, South by Southwest and uh, out in L.A. You'll be playing around and people can uh, find you and do all that kind of thing. Yeah, I have a show at the Peppermint Club ah. on March 1st. Nice. And then I'll be popping up at South by Southwest. Terrific. Yeah. So got a couple of things on the horizon. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, we should always keep things on the horizon, shouldn't we? We should. We really, <laughs> really should. something to move toward. It's important. It is. Uh, I've so enjoyed our conversation, Erin. Me too. Thank you for joining me. Thank you and, for having uh, me so hope much. To, hopefully we'll see you again. I hope so. Okay. I mean, isn't that something? I so admire Erin and her work. I hope you'll keep an eye out for her next album, and by all means, if you're in L.A. or you're going to be in Austin for South by Southwest and you want to check out a show, do it! My thanks to Erin, and uh, her current album is called Strange Diary, available everywhere. And uh, the skating thing was real. She posted some uh, video of that, and I got to see it. And my goodness, oh, there's that's the competitive fire there. Personalized reading uh, this week goes out to Carlotta Mezzatoa in Capiscan, Iowa. It's only us in the basement. And our lucky numbers this week are 22, 44, and 88, because they're all little twins, aren't they? Little look-alike, some numbers are. Well, friends, that'll do it for us once again. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is brought to you by Jameson Spirit Cleanser, the original prairie-grade sage that you can burn whenever things start making noises in your walls or a spirit appears at the foot of your bed wearing 18th century sailing regalia. Deep Night is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Deep Night Season 10 podcast image by artist Kelsey Roten. Deep Night Season 10 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the season provided by the talented roster of Howler Hills Farm. The Deep Night Podcast can be found on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and on Apple Podcasts, where we kindly ask you to subscribe and then leave a rating or a review. Once again, thank you for listening. Even if you slip away.